0: This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today we have Holly Flores. She's in the office. She's the president of the Rocky Mountain Chapter of the Exit Planning Institute. She is also a certified exit planning advisor. We're very fortunate. She is on kid duty today. Thanks for taking time to come in.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. I'm excited to be here.
0: Well, Holly, tell us a little bit about what you do with the Exit Planning Institute, as well as what you do as a certified exit planning advisor.
1: Okay, well, I got to the Exit Planning Institute via my day job as a value advisor, uh, the unofficial term, with Quantum, where we do business valuations. So that business valuations are often a triggering point for exit planning. And what exit planning is, it's almost a, a negative. Some people think of it as a negative because exit, they think I'm coming near the end of my life, but it really means succession planning in business. And exit planning does not mean planning for an exit for tomorrow. It means planning for transitioning out of your business sometime in the, down the road, whether it's six months from now or five years from now. And we often say, you always want to start with the end in mind. We, we transfer that over into other parts of our life. But when we run a business, sometimes we fail to have that conversation. So with the Exit Planning Institute, who has really done a great job over the past five or so years, bringing that vocabulary to the forefront of advisors all across the country. I wanted to be part of it and see how I could integrate that into my business. So on a day-to-day business, from day to day, I may work with a business on, on determining their current value, maybe looking at that for a handful of reasons. First of all, for a transaction, for litigation, for tax planning. But often that conversation, when they see the value, a business owner, all of a sudden the light goes on and they see what it's worth or and they're excited or they see what it's worth and they're a little disappointed and they start thinking about, well, what does the path forward look like?
0: We hear triggering event and we hear exit and succession and go, hell, I died. That's usually what you get. And I think in kind of going backwards a little bit, the statistics around exit planning and succession planning are pretty grim, aren't they?
1: They are. So statistically, 80% of business owners either do not transact at all or do not transact at the value that they think they should have gotten. So if you think about that, the opportunity that is out there for us to improve upon this is is huge. It's limitless, especially when you think about how many small businesses there are in every city across America. So if you are an advisor working with business owners... And you're not having this conversation, then maybe there's an opportunity that, that you're missing. There's a part of me that thinks we're failing as advisors. If we don't have that difficult conversation and say, so have you thought about what's next?
0: I think about that. And for folks as well, I don't really have much sympathy for the business owner. But I think the next step past that is the quantity of people that are working for that particular small business. And if most of business owners think they're immortal, so far, 64,000 generations and nobody survived, so they are in fact mortal. And you think, of what happens when the business owner passes? What happens to the employees? What happens to their families? And so I think on that side of the table, it's extremely important to go and have that conversation. And what I thought was interesting is because kind of the backstory too is I'm a certified exit planning advisor as well and just picked up the designation way after Holly. So Holly led the way. And I think about the, the valuation commentary that you made where they think it's worth X and maybe it's worth some percentage lower of X than they thought. Can you talk a little bit about how exit planning helps that perception? And
1: Yeah, so we call that fill in the gap, right? Typically, to be honest, most business owners think their business is going to be worth at least five times what it is actually worth. And that may be from hearing what other people sold it for, just misperception. Uh, a lot of times people will hear about this multiple and you don't necessarily know, if, is that a multiple of revenue, multiple of net profit, EBITDA, it can be of so many different things. So it's best that someone, a third party person, come in, take a look at it and give you that idea. And what goes into the evaluation is seeing where the market data is. Where have other businesses that are like that business sold?
0: And you mentioned a term that many may not know: EBITDA. What is EBITDA?
1: EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, and depreciation. A lot of businesses, you're right, don't look at it. So the best thing maybe to say for a small business owners just to look at the net profit and see where the business is at, or the seller's discretionary income. So what the business owner takes home. Plus any other expenses that are not necessarily associated in running the business.
0: You mean my racehorse and my business is not part of that?
1: Maybe if your racehorse is getting you to your clients, then that might be (laughs) legit. If the next person that takes it takes it over is going to need that horse, but uh, probably not in Colorado Springs.
0: As I think about the Exit Planning Institute and the chapter here locally, the chapter's not that old, but you have events on a quarterly monthly. On a monthly basis. Yes. What are the type of things that you talk about in the monthly meetings?
1: So we started the chapter just earlier in 2018. I'll give you a little bit of a backstory on it. Surprisingly, that's all we've been around, even though exit planning, one of the other, I'd say competitors, but I think we are all kind of in it together. A major exit planning institutes in the country is based out of Denver. So we're the first chapter to come there. And Our chapter, the focus is it's all about collaboration and education. So to be a member of the chapter, you do not have to be paying dues or have a membership fee. What we want to do is attract people to collaborate. And if by doing this, you decide that you want to go get your exit planning certificate, then fantastic. But more importantly, we're coming together, advisors all along the spectrum. So from the beginning of a transaction where you've got a valuation person, you also may have. Financial advisor that's talking to them and wants to take a look at, hey, what is your business worth? If this is what you think is a big part of your asset allocation and you're going to retire with this one day, maybe that's the discussion that starts that. Then you go on down the process. You have accountants in there, you've got attorneys in there, investment bankers, private equity funds. We also have some really neat and specialized people that maybe work on the psychology of a transaction. Or they're part of a community foundation. And a foundation is important because a lot of times when people are planning what to do with their wealth as it happens, they may want to be in touch with a foundation to have those. So we all come together, all these different groups, entities, and we have different discussions from the big picture talking exit planning. Last month, we talked about buy sell agreements. Next month, we'll talk about due diligence. And later on this year, uh, before the end of 2018, we have a special program with business owners who will be on the panel and they're going to talk about what went right and what went wrong and how they were ready and the things that they wish they did better.
0: And these are the business owners that have already sold their businesses.
1: Correct. And which is a little bit of a challenge to find business owners that recently sold that are willing to be on a panel. So typically they're far enough away where they're beyond any agreements and maybe the emotional pieces is, is past them a little bit. And so far we've got some great Panelists lined up. It's going to be a great discussion.
0: One of the things that struck me after finishing the certification is the differentials between average company in your industry versus below average and best in class, and the multiple differential and the income gap or the revenue gap. Can you touch on that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So when we do evaluation, you know, everyone wants something for free a little bit. And you have those that free advice. So like, all right, what's the rule of thumb of where my type of business would sell? What's the multiple times the seller's discretionary income and say, well, the range that we'll just say on average for a mid market company could be anywhere from four to seven times. And what
0: is a mid market company?
1: A mid market company would be a business with revenue anywhere from 20 million to a hundred million. Okay. And uh, so anywhere from four to seven times. And these numbers, they are all, they're a range that I'm saying, even on a mid-market company. A company could be smaller, but they've got great earnings. So maybe that'd push them more into the middle market or lower middle market. So just take that four to seven times their earnings. That swing can be a 70% difference. So whether you are at the bottom on that four times, you're the best in class you your seven times, it's really broad. And without digging into what is going on in your company, really through the financials, you don't know where and there you may be. But so by starting out with evaluation and seeing that triggering event, this is where I am today.
0: And the triggering event is what?
1: Triggering event is one of those things that starts the conversation. In my mind, knowing where you stand, where you are right now, triggers further discussion. So from there, you can start to come up with a strategy. And strategy could be, okay, I know where we're at. I know I've got three years or four years to influence this and I want to improve the value. Or it could be, I know where I'm at. I know I don't have that much time. So let's get on the market today. Whatever it may be, but it's just starting the conversation. And in order to do that, you kind of got to know where you're standing.
0: It's funny. I think for a lot of folks, they don't consider that the business sale may not be an elective event for them, because it may not be that you pass away. It could be that you're disabled. It could be that there's a family event. It could be that there's a disagreement that's just not possible to get over. I think the thing that struck me the most about going through the process, and I don't remember who said it, said basically this type of process is really just good business. Because if you step out of the business as the operator and you step into the shoes of a potential acquirer, you look at your business differently. So maybe you could touch on a little bit about the eyes of a potential acquirer and the things that are important to a potential purchaser in a business.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. So I think it was Chris Snyder, who is the president of the Exit Planning Institute, who said exit strategy just makes good business strategy. And that is true. So as you take a look at it, when we say value there's really three things that are going to drive the value of of a business. You're going to have your earnings, you're going to take a look at your risk, and you're going to take a look at your growth potential. And earnings, hey, that's money coming in the door, it's managing your expenses, and absolutely, of course, that's going to impact value. But from an outside buyer, someone, third party, coming to look at purchasing your business, the other two, two pieces of that I think will hold even more important. Because you want to take a look at risk. So how saturated are they on their clients? They've got two clients that make up 80% of their revenue. And if I come in there, what is the likelihood that I'll be able to keep these two clients? That's significant. And the other piece is growth. So if you are in a mature market, a mature industry, and someone from the outside is coming in and they're like, hey, yeah, you guys have done well, but really is there room to take it further? Recently, I did an evaluation on a company, and the business owner thought, "Look, this could go big, but they're pretty much at a negative net operating profit. They were running the business as a lifestyle business, which means they were taking money out of it, and they living a good life. But in terms of presenting a package that made it look great to an outside buyer, it just wasn't there. And they thought, "Yeah, but an outside buyer could look at this, and if they just did these five things, it would be worth so much money and maybe that's true but that's up to the that's the sweat equity of a potential buyer that's not what you're doing right now and if you would like to harvest that potential as the current owner as the seller if you want to harvest it that's something you've got to be able to put into it
0: i thought one of the things too is a lot of folks think about well i have to do this to see if i'm going to sell my business but what if you go through the valuation and the process and you look at that and you go you're really doing a great job and your numbers are great and you're best in class. Maybe you should be looking at acquiring other companies. Maybe there's some mileage to talk about there.
1: A lot of times we're working with small and main street businesses and having an outside person come in on a small business, main street business, those business owners are so busy running their business on a day-to-day. So when they have a third party that comes in, helps them kind of lift their head up a little bit and see what's going well see what things they can change and adjust sometimes just as you said they think you know what there's a reason why I started this business and they start to have fun again and maybe get a little bit of energy to keep it going for a future sale so absolutely there's that piece and earlier you touched on you know there are plenty of other reasons why people will transition out of a business it's not always a, a transaction that's what you hope for but is there planning a strategy you got to have a strategy so that you're ready if death divorce disability, all of those things happen. And taking these steps to grow that value just helps minimize risk. So the business is prepared.
0: Well, what if I'm that business owner who goes, I'm not worried about that stuff. I'm just going to hand my business to my kids.
1: Now that's actually a really frequent, maybe less frequent these days, because there's a visual, we're very aware that the next generation is not as interested in mom and dad's stuff. But even if you thought you were going to hand it off to your number two guy, but you kept it a secret. That secret might catch not just that person by surprise, but you by surprise when you find out, wow, I had no plans of this and nor do I have the money to buy you out and for you to get that payday that you were planning on. So one of the mistakes that business owners make, and I say mistake cautiously, is they keep the conversation secret. And back in my college days, we would have to write down our goals on a three by five card and. We I put it on. Be, I would
0: be remiss if we didn't say what college you went to.
1: Yes, at West Point, we had a we had our cards at the beginning of each semester and our cards were posted right above our, our desk and was your goals for the semester. And it was, you don't write your goals down. I think it's 95% of the people that don't write their goals down, obviously don't.
0: Wind up somewhere. <laughs>
1: yeah, they'll wind up somewhere. So same thing with your business. If that goal exists that you want to do something, but you're not communicating it with anyone, the likelihood of you going down that path really might just stay in your head and it may shift directions. To say that you're going to sell your business one day, it's not rocket science, right? Of course you are. Or of course you plan to leave it one day. So as you start to communicate that, you might be doing yourself a favor, not to mention everyone else. And the people that are running the business, they may all of a sudden start to think about how can I be a part of that?
0: If you're 70, 75 years old, your employees know you have an exit plan. One way or another.
1: Yeah. Or they're worried that you don't.
0: Yeah. And they're going to go. In, and I think for all of the process, so for the business owners that are listening, right? First order business, how do they find you?
1: So they can find me at our website, GoQuantive, www.goQuantive.com, or social media, Holly Flores, uh, PMP, SIPA. And I know that there's some other Holly Flores is out there, but I'm there.
0: And when they look at you, you will have a SIPA right by your name. I do. And then for the website, it's Q GoQuantif, Q-U-A-N-T-I-V-E. Correct. GoQuantif.com. And for the business owners past social media, if they reach out to you, what should they expect if you come to see them in if when you walk through the door?
1: To have a conversation. First and foremost, I think it really comes down to having a conversation and Answering some difficult questions, one of the key things at our EPI chapter is we try to get beyond focusing just on a transaction that's, hey, I want to sell. I'm looking for this payday. There's so many other pieces that go into it. And I think the most important thing is that initial conversation, understanding what's important to you, who else should be a part of this conversation? Should your family be a part of this conversation? Should your business partner, should your employees be a part of the conversation? And it's a process. We talk to business owners after we do evaluation, when we say, hey, you can grow the value of your business because you don't have a marketing plan in place. And we help businesses put processes in place. Well, this whole thing is a process. If you're a part, if you're an advisor on one of those pieces and all you do is see your piece, you're not helping your client see the opportunity or the risks and just all the shortfalls that could happen along the way. You got to treat it as a process and be ready for more conversation, more talk up front to make it smoother along the way.
0: For for the business owner, you know, going like, God, this is overwhelming. You get paralyzed with, oh, I got to have this person. Typically, I think statistics suggest the CPA is the typical advisor. Maybe you could touch a little bit on a makeup of a team and then how the coordination of that team occurs.
1: Yeah, great point. So at the Exit Planning Institute, we do a survey called the Owner Readiness Survey. And we ask owners who is their most trusted advisor, and often it is the CPA. When a business owner is picking that person to be their exit planning, we say the quarterback, but that's kind of cliche, but the center of it all, to help coordinate all these different things, because it is overwhelming and it could be a several year process. You want to find that person that you feel most comfortable having a conversation and that that person is also comfortable coordinating with your attorney. And it may be your business attorney, but when you do a transaction, it may be a transaction attorney. You don't want to limit who is in in the team. Other people on the team will be the people that I said uh, attend our EPI meetings. You're going to have your accountant and your accountant may be the person that does your taxes and you also may have your bookkeeper. So it may be covering both sides. Who's touching the business on a regular basis. Your financial advisor is a great person to bring in there because they may see bigger on what sort of strategies would be important. And this also ties back into your accountant tax strategies for when a sale happens. How are you going to receive those funds? And then even determining what your goal is down the road. Maybe you already sat down with your financial advisor. You did your financial plan and you know your number that you want to retire with. Another great reason to have the financial advisor there. Ultimately, choosing that person that is on that team is up to the business owner. There's not a set profession. I would say one of the most important things is finding a person that is not afraid to talk to the others on the team. I think we've all worked with advisors that want to be all things. And as a business owner, you know, you can't be all things.
0: I was thinking as you were chatting, say that you have a particularly unusual company and you have some intellectual property. And you go well, yeah. We know how to do this, and nobody else does. And so, have you protected it? And if you haven't, then you kind of go. Maybe a step in the planning process is to get counsel on how you take in and protect a key component of what somebody may view as the valuation of your business. And for the business owner that's going like, wow, this is like sipping from a fire hose. Can they attend an exit planning meeting, a chapter meeting?
1: Yeah, and actually, Bob, that's a great point, and I always recommend it because. It is overwhelming. You may talk to five advisors who will tell you five different things and you're like, I don't know which way to go. And as a result, you just procrastinate the process or procrastinate the discussion. So going to a chapter meeting and kind of seeing it all interact together and seeing the dynamic is really important. And even for us as advisors or exit planners, it's the chapter helps us assess each other, each other's skills comfort level, what sort of advisors may work best with certain types of businesses. All of that is really, I'd say there's an art to it. And you can't say, hey, these are the five people you need on your exit planning advisory team because every business is different. And you may have some sort of unique intellectual piece that you have never done anything to protect that intellectual property, but that may also be something that's so far off in left field and just doesn't apply. So taking it one step at a time, Bringing in the right people, the right part of the conversation, and making sure people are okay with their role.
0: I think about every business. This is, well, you don't understand my business because it's a family business and we have dynamics within the family. Could be first, second, third generation, and so on. And as much as that may be unique to that business owner, it's certainly not unique in the sale of a business. So when you run into a business owner that may have some challenges within the family, Event, what type of resources, what do you do as an exit planner?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Family businesses are becoming more and more of a rare special entity that's out there. And I think the numbers incredibly drop down statistically that are able to transfer to a third generation. But there are specific advisors that whether they are managing family, they specialize in family assets. So from a financial standpoint, psychology standpoint, that are 100 percent focused on that family dynamic, and understanding Jimmy may be the best suited to run the business, but he has no interest. So how are we going to allow him to continue on and go to med school and move away from the business, and then you've got your other family that you don't really trust running the business. So what is that conversation? I can say with confidence that I'm not skilled at that unique dynamic. And at that point, so if I were working with a client that has a family dynamic like that, I can facilitate the conversation and I can facilitate bringing in the person that is specialized.
0: I see that monthly meeting and the exit planning chapter is kind of like a toolbox. And for the various advisors, there may be a valuation person or there may be an attorney and it says, you know, I really need somebody with a specialized skill set. And for the business owner out there that's trying to maximize the value upon sale, There's also specific people to bring on board to take and go, this is how other people see this. Or we want to take and make sure there's a lot of people interested in your business. So you create a good auction process. So I've picked on you for the first 20 plus minutes or so.
1: It's been that long already.
0: Yeah. It's amazing when you're having fun, right? And I think about this is such a critical component because what is it? I don't know what the percentage of the population in the U.S. is employed. By the small business, but it's, it's extraordinary. Yeah,
1: a huge part of our economy.
0: And so I think simple steps to try to take and help the next generation, also take and help the business owner that's worked so hard. I think it's incredibly important. At a minimum, they should at least reach out and give you a call to talk to you about this process. Yeah. And if they want to take income, to any of the chapter meetings, reach out and be glad to sponsor them and nobody will point them out. They just come yeah, in they and they can sit.
1: sneak in <laughs> and uh, especially come to the one and we will be putting this out on LinkedIn and Twitter when we have the business owners on the panel. But every one of our meetings, it's so important to educate the advisors as well as the business owners because there's two pieces to it. Just as I said, a lot of advisors will really try to be all things to their client. They may have worked with that owner for 20 years as their business attorney but they don't really have a background in doing transactions. And the owner, they love their attorney. They feel that commitment and they don't want that loyalty. It's okay to have two attorneys and you can figure it out. The attorney can figure it out because ultimately what works for everyone is if the business sells successfully. And if you have the wrong attorney in that job, it may not sell successfully. Something could go wrong and the deal could blow up at the last minute just because of that loyalty. And you were afraid to walk away from that. And I say, walk away, just move away for that transaction.
0: What is it? the statistic? 80%? And you know, when you think about if you have an expectation of a price and you get ready to sell and you get some offer that is less than the price because of some factor you were surprised by, right. you know, I have two clients and I'm the only salesman, or I have no contract or my contracts all expire. When you look at that and it's not surprising that the business doesn't sell, and the business owner has all the energy put into the process and go, I'm not doing this again.
1: Right. Another reason why poor expectation, they may have sat with a a business broker that said, Hey, we're gonna sell your business. Business broker knew the price that the owner wanted to get and they ended up pricing it at that point. And it was not a realistic price point. They I mean, it's not a matter of someone being unethical. There's other things that influence our decisions as advisors. And we may have missed or that person may have missed that glaring fact that was out there that you just priced it way out of, you priced yourself out of a sale. And taking a step back, having those conversations with different advisors. Sometimes I take it for granted. I don't know if you do. I feel like everyone knows all the financial advisors in town, all the attorneys in town, because we interact with them on such a regular basis. But a business owner normally has their head down, making operations happen. And they know the people that are in their world. So getting connected to, an exit planner or going to an EPI meeting or whatever the case may be, it will open up your eyes and it will create the opportunity for a different discussion.
0: And I think for many of the business owners, they don't know what their sale options are. They may say, I just think cash offer. And I don't think cash offers are necessarily all that consistent in that you could have an earn out or you could have a number of different exit options that may fit your plan. And so just being aware of the options
1: matter. And there's a lot of different types of buyers, right? You've got strategic buyer, which in theory is the guy down the street that may want to buy you out to expand his business or someone that just left corporate America and they're looking to become a small business owner. And you've got financial advisors. And right now there's a lot of financial buyers and those financial buyers may be private equity groups. And we used to only see private equity groups on a bigger scale. Now private equity groups are buying main street businesses. They're looking for companies that Maybe just have about a million in revenue.
0: Yeah. And I think for that business owner, he goes, what's it take to qualify to fit in the parameters of a private equity group? And so a lot of times it seems like it's a mystery, but it would be nice if you have somebody in the valuation space or in the exit planning spaces. I've done a number of these. This is typically what we see. And this is your good points. And this is the shortfalls. And this is what you can do to move your numbers.
1: Around. Yeah. It's just having a conversation.
0: Yeah. Well, with having a conversation, now I get to take in and quiz you to death. So for you, influential book that's altered your thoughts on how you do what you do now that you read lately.
1: So I am a business book junkie and by junkie. So I tend to grab them. I don't always finish them. I'll admit that. And I also don't read them. I listen to them, which may be why I can lose interest. But I, I think we normally grab a book that's trying to speak to us at, at any given time. Um, So the book that I'm going to tell you, when I listened to it, it didn't necessarily speak to me at that moment. And it was the importance of moments or making of moments. It was actually very significant to me. So I have the exact title of my book. I'm going to get it for you. And it was take that thought process into the workplace. A lot of times when you're having a conversation with a customer, someone comes into a store, just take a retail situation. Someone comes in, the transaction happens and you go about your way. On the flip side of that, turn it upside down. That's the one time that that customer is going to interact with someone at your store. If you made that a moment for them, that they, their widget, that they put a lot of thought into their purchase, it may be in 10 seconds, but you made a moment of it, it makes it memorable that they'll come back for more. And it's the same thing when you engage your employees every day, there should be some type of moment. You can't make everything in your life an important moment. Um, but I go back to one point early on in my army career that I learned this lesson. I was uh, I was young. I'm high energy. I'm from the Northeast, and I just like to get things done. Sometimes I don't take time for chit chat. And at this moment, there was a transaction that need to happen. It was totally just business. A gentleman that worked for me set up the meeting. They came in. I got right to the point. Said, "Let's make this happen." I thought everything was good. We were eye to eye, and about 30 minutes later, the gentleman that worked for me came in and I said, so when went okay, everything's, we'll go forward. And he said, no, he had, was really disappointed. He didn't even offer him a cup of coffee. I didn't take the conversation very far. So as you go back and you think about, it, gosh, when you're on, on the microphone, you kind of forget things to your head.
0: For me, and I can remember in particular, I was downrange with a general officer and we go to this training site and he bypassed all the officers, all the NCOs and found the lowest ranking soldier he could find. He says, what are you here to learn today? What's your uniform today? And when's the last time you had a warm meal? And so he wanted to know.
1: He made a moment.
0: And you know, that private will probably talk about the general coming down to talk to him. Yeah. For the rest of his life.
1: So, you know, the the movie Glengarry, that was it. Coffees for Closers. So now I actually say the opposite. You don't get to closing unless you have coffee.
0: You know, I think that goes further down the road of with the technology and all the autoresponders and all the stuff that goes on in electronic media. I think that there's some value to be had in the old face-to-face. That's why all the podcasts are done face-to-face because I can see what I can't hear. And you know, you get a connection and that's important. So, well, with that said, all right, in the past, I know that you probably had zero failures in your past but maybe one that sets you up for future achievement and why?
1: Now, that is a really vulnerable question to ask. And I think I just feel like I, I fail at least 10 times a day, every day. So you'd think I would have a good answer to that. I think I still struggle to see which failures have lifted me up. There's something in me that uh, makes me keep on going. I'm positive that it was a, a failure along the way that I become oblivious. There's a short-term memory, I guess, maybe it is poor that I failed at that, that I've forgotten what I failed at yesterday. So tomorrow I wake up and I do it again. And there's something that's insanity that goes along with that. But I definitely know that I get rejected. So I think that that's what it would be. I get rejection often, whether it's presenting your business or it's just rejection, maybe coming in the form of not getting the business. That's not a no, but you didn't get a yes either. But yet, I still wake up the next day and I stay at it.
0: One foot in front of the other.
1: Keep on moving.
0: If you could take and put an ad out on the local business paper talking about the message of exit planning and what you do in this chapter, what would it say and why?
1: All right. First off, the bottom line on that is the message would be start the conversation. Uh, So a woman I spoke with today, she said, Holly, I've had the conversation uh, on exit planning. You know, you hear it all the time. Our exit plan has been different probably every year for the past five years. I would argue that maybe it was different because you never really had a long conversation about it. And you didn't go down with the path. You just came up with, this is what we want. And that's okay, but it's temporary. And so without going through the painstaking conversation, You may not understand why it is that you want to sell at this price point.
0: And I I, I still think that the business owner thinks doesn't recognize the potential cash value, cash flow benefit of doing exit planning along the way. One, it improves your bottom line if you start doing best practices in place, which a potential buyer is looking for. Two, if you're average or below average and you want to get to average or above average, what that does to your earnings better practices, better sales, diversified customer base. I think they miss. Yeah. And I think it's a misconception.
1: It's also an expense, right? And that, I think that's a reality is a small business owner. Hey, you got every advisor, consultant, anything you can think of, technology, software coming at you and saying, spend money here. We are the best and we will help give you an ROI. So all of these different things coming at you, how do you take it one step at a time? There's not really an easy answer to that, but yet there is a return on it. And sometimes if you take it one advisor at a time and with that one advisor come up with, okay, how do we continue this conversation over the next few years? You see that there's more work that needs to be done. And you say, look, right now, in order for me to increase value, I need to sell more. Okay. So let's talk about how we're going to grow sales. Well, it could be they could have a
0: contract too. I want to take my contract, you know, instead of one year, I want to take my contracts to five years, which is more attractive. To a potential uh, yes, buyer. That,
1: that minimizes risk. And all that's good. And some, having those outside eyes and making the investment in a consultant, and that consultant is going to push you to do what you already know that you need to do.
0: For you, looking at what you're doing, best allocation of time or initiative that's helped you the most with what you're doing?
1: For me, the best allocation of time is getting out there. Prior role I was at running an operation, we called it management by walking around. And I think in the military, I've always done that. And no matter what, uh, sometimes when you're in financial services, you're out in the community. But in general, if you're not out talking to people and connecting to people, if you're sitting behind a desk and reading, which don't get me wrong, we always need to grow professionally. But if you're not connecting, then you are going to miss the point of why we're doing what we're doing, so I think that is uh no matter what industry you're in, being out and being seen, whether it's your clients or your employees, you need to be out
0: for you unusual habit or what others may consider out of the ordinary that's helped you the most.
1: I don't think I have any unusual habits, so I run, and that's probably the thing that helps me keep sanity a bit because for all the other reasons why I lose my sanity, so I run. And during the summer, my big exciting race or exciting to me is it's called the Triple Crown, the Pikes Peak Triple Crown. And it starts out with a 10-mile race in Garden of the Gods, which is not a flat race by any means. It is actually really hard 10-mile run. And then at the second race, that's called the Stampede. And this year, that race was run out at Chi Mountain State Park, which was also just brutal in July, 13 miles. And then it concludes with a race up to Pikes Peak. So that's 13 miles and you start at 7,000 feet in elevation and you finish at 14,110 feet of elevation. And there is a a little bit of a crazy high because it does not feel good. And whenever I do it, I think next year, either I'm not doing it next year or next year, I swear I'm going to train. And then that moment comes and I just say, you know what? If I never get to train, it's just, I'm so lucky to be able to have this opportunity to do it. So it's fun. You wish you did it too, right?
0: No. Over the past few years, what belief or protocol have you established that's most impacted you or the company?
1: So over the past three years, I've actually had a lot of change, geographic change, professional shifts, I would say. So was living in Alaska, came back to, to Colorado. And sometimes when you shift, it's easy to allow life to stop. and maybe you shouldn't allow it to stop. I'm not very good at that. And so one of the things that I've done, just like being out and being seen, I think it's really important to always keep moving. And for me, that has been significant that just because you go through a significant change business-wise, personally, I think when you stop and you allow the ground to settle under your feet, sometimes it's harder to get moving again. So.
0: For you. With all the experience that you have working with businesses, what advice would you offer to that new CEO about exit planning if you were to talk to him for the first time?
1: Yeah. So the corny saying that you mentioned that Chris Snyder says, and I, Chris may not be the one to coin the phrase, but exit strategy makes good business strategy. And I think that as a business owner, so I have another government contracting company that we have recently started over the course at the beginning of the year. And as we're looking at the horizon, I'm trying to heed my own advice and saying, okay, so what is the exit strategy? Exit strategy will evolve, but there are those points that setting goals. And if you don't have a direction where you're trying to take it, then it makes it very difficult for you as a leader, as well as for the people that you hire. So having some sort of an exit strategy, it essentially creates vision and it creates purpose. So it's smart.
0: Most common misconceptions about your role in the exit planning space?
1: Well, I think, I think often with advisors it, and many of us along this process, you, know, you can pick up a book about exit planning. I can pick up a book about being a financial advisor, investing in your own portfolio, doing all of it. It all sounds really easy. And actually, so not a misconception is I think it is kind of easy in theory, but it's really difficult to execute. And I think for advisors to remember that, that nothing that we do is difficult. Business is really common sense. But obviously, if it were common sense that we were following and listening to, we would not have 80% of the businesses fail to transact. So the misconception is that I can do it, the do-it-yourselfers, because it takes resilience. It just takes effort. It is just a nonstop push. And I think that business owners, as well as other advisors that say, yeah, I do exit planning. I work with my clients on it. It is a, um, it's a very concerted push to get clients. Just because
0: it's simple doesn't mean it's easy.
1: Yeah. Very well said.
0: Looking back over the past few years, what should or what should you have said no to and why?
1: I'm not very good at saying no. I had one, uh, I say yes to pretty much everything because I take it as a challenge and I'm that type A person that says I can do it. I can make it happen. But I did have one nonprofit that I was excited to be a part of earlier this year and that leader of the organization. um, So basically it would have been similar to the Exit Planning Institute running a chapter locally. The leader located in a different city wanted to be very directive on how we communicated to the chapter, what time we met, what things we said. And there was a part of me that wanted to challenge her and talk to her about her leadership style and say, hey, this is not really an effective way to, to lead, especially when you're leading people that are probably leaders. And I, I started to go down that road. And then eventually I did disengage and, and remove myself. But it was probably a little more heartache than I needed to add to the list.
0: For you on the day-to-day operation of what you do. What's the personal habit or self-talk that keeps you going?
1: Ah, The things that you have to tell yourself every day. I have a handful of different ones. Um, the most basic one that I've always said, back to my plebe year as a, a cadet at West Point, said, if this was easy, everyone would do it. And I genuinely say that every day. My kids, it is part of their anthem. They know that that's what I'm going to say to them. So on those days when I got to look yourself in the mirror and and you're not sure if you want to keep going or maybe I picked the wrong way, I know that the fact that it's hard makes it worthwhile. And then Blue Ocean, uh, Shift, and then the the newer book, that is another book that I've read recently. But again, just remembering that the opportunity out there is so vast and so big, and it's just about taking it.
0: Quote that you find meaningful or you use frequently?
1: So, actually, you said something to me when you first met me about my size and the quote passed to me from my husband was, or is, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. And I'm a believer in that. I got a lot of fight in me.
0: I wouldn't say that my perception of you is that you're a small person. You're diminutive. (laughs) Yes. And petite. How's that?
1: That, That's fine. Perfect. I'm not sensitive about it.
0: (laughs) If you make it to West Point.
1: Or no one saw me, they missed me right?
0: small. <laughs> No, I don't think so. But so with that being said, Holly, if I was to talk to some of your colleagues and ask them, what are you best at? What would they say? And how do you utilize that on a daily basis?
1: I think that most people would say that high energy is the thing that I'm best at and what I'm remembered for. And, and I use that on a daily basis I think really in my engagement of people. So yeah, that energy, it's like I, uh, maybe I drink too much coffee as a result of meeting that guy that I drink coffee all the time now, but my energy is what sets me apart from others.
0: Well, Holly, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming in. And this has been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, thanks, Bob. I'm really happy to be here. Till next time.
0: Yes, ma'am.